0: Um, So our reading today is from Matthew chapter 5, and it's verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I wonder, do we have uh, any fans of the West Wing here this morning? Go on. We've got one. Okay, we've got a few. We've got a few uh, fans of the West Wing. Uh, You'll be familiar with this uh, scene I'm about to reference then. So I was on YouTube uh, looking for rugby highlights when uh, the algorithm suggested this scene. And the title of the scene is Bashing Bible Bashers. The algorithm knows, doesn't it? So I was interested, what's this all about? So I watched it. If you've never seen the West Wing before, like me, it's a a political drama about the West Wing of the White House. It's about the fictional president, Josiah Bartlett. In this particular scene, the president is in a room full of talk show hosts, and one of them is a conservative Christian who appeals to the Bible to talk about her viewpoints, she would say, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. Uh, And she winds up in the president's crosshairs for various reasons, one of them being the way she uses the Bible to justify her views. Uh, He responds to her in kind like this, it'll be on the screen. He says to her, I'm interested in selling my youngest daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus 21 verse seven. She's a Georgetown sophomore, speaks fluent Italian, always cleared the table when it was her turn. What would be a good price for her to be? What would a good price for her be? Well, thinking about that, can I ask another? My chief of staff, Leo McGarry, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35 verse 2 clearly, clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself? Or is it okay just to call the police? There's more to the scene, but that's just the flavor of it. Whenever you go down into the comments section, a dangerous place to go, uh, the two main opinions in the comments section are this. Uh, Believing the Bible and living by it is either incredibly stupid or incredibly dangerous. Or, here's another opinion, Christians are just hypocrites. They pick and choose what bits of the Bible fit their specific agenda. (laughs) And you're sitting in a church this morning where we believe in the Bible. We teach the Bible. We live by what God has said in his Word. So here's a question for you this morning. Are you stupid? Are we dangerous? Or are we just hypocrites? that's, That's how we feel, isn't it? Whenever people like the president ask questions about the Old Testament and its relevance to life today. Very fortunately for us, Jesus answers these questions, so we're not without a resource. So let's find out. Let's find out what Jesus has to say about the Old Testament. We're going to spend the majority of our time here, so prepare yourselves. Jesus and the Old Testament. As we read, look down at verse 17. Jesus addresses an assumption that his listeners, the disciples, and the crowd listening in, an assumption that they would have made. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, So the assumption is, the assumption is Jesus has come to abolish the Old Testament. There it is on the screen. Jesus has come to abolish the Old Testament. Abolish means to destroy, make irrelevant, do away with. In the Bible, the word uh, abolish often describes a building being destroyed. So why might Jesus' listeners assume that he's come to abolish the Old Testament? Well, put yourself into their shoes They're Jews listening to a Jewish man speak about how to live in the kingdom of heaven. And their immediate assumption would be, live your life according to the law and the prophets. That's a way of saying, live by the Old Testament, the first 39 books of the Bible. But Jesus doesn't start there. If you look at the Sermon on Mount, he doesn't start there. And they would have been shocked. It's hard to illustrate this in modern terms, but imagine being at a wedding and the groom is doing his groom's speech, and he's 10 minutes in, and he hasn't mentioned the bride. You'd be like, okay, initially a bit bemused. He's forgotten about the bride. But your concern would grow the longer it goes on. Has he lost the plot? Has he completely forgotten about his wife? Jesus not mentioning it, they would have assumed, okay, Jesus has come to abolish this, to do away with it. Because the Old Testament was so central to the life of the Jews. Verse 11, actually, if you look at verse 11 of chapter 5, would have also led to this assumption. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of me. You know, if they had cotton buds in those days, they would have been clearing out their ears to make sure they'd heard them right. They, They were respected. Persecute you because of the law and prophets. But because of me. If you're new to Christianity or investigating this, You will notice this about Jesus constantly. He never sets himself up as one of many ways to God or just a good teacher. He speaks as though he's the real deal. He is the way, the truth, and the life, not one of many ways. So the Jews listening, they would have thought, okay, he is speaking as though he has come to abolish the law and the prophets. And It is worth considering just very briefly, what it would mean if Jesus did come to abolish the law and the prophets. I think this will especially be helpful if you're a new Christian uh, wondering why is the Old Testament so important when it's so confusing. So, here's a wee sidebar for you. What if Jesus did abolish the Old Testament? Um, I think the best illustration that I could come up with is this flower here. Flower. Uh, so, if Jesus did abolish the Old Testament. If you take the first 39 books of the Bible and chuck it in the bin, it would mean this. Oh, the horror, the absolute horror. So the flower looks good, right? Really nice. But there's no root. There's no source of life. This is going to wither and die, detached from the seed, the soil. Now, of course... Actually, I'm going to hold on to this. Of course, in the New Testament, that's where we see the flower of the gospel. But its seed, its roots are in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, if you read it, you'll read about God making promises to send someone to defeat evil once and for all. A mighty king who will be God with us. And if those Old Testament promises are abolished, it either means that God's weak meaning he can't fulfill it, he can't bring it about, or he's a liar. He never meant to fulfill those promises. Friends, our doctrine of scripture, our view of the Old Testament really matters. It has massive consequences for life now if we cut the New Testament from its Old Testament roots. For if Jesus abolishes the Old Testament, then stories like Moses, Ruth, Esther, they're just moral examples. They don't point beyond themselves, they just point to themselves. But thankfully, since Jesus came not to abolish it, but to fulfill it, whenever we read our Old Testament, we see the seeds of the gospel in these people, how they point beyond themselves. I wonder if you remember a time whenever you were reading an Old Testament passage or perhaps in a sermon, and you saw the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. So for me personally, uh, Exodus 32, the golden calf incident, the people of God have messed up big time. They have totally forgotten what God has done for them. They have sinned and messed up big time. They need someone to intercede with God for their sins, for the things that they have done wrong. And Moses goes up to God, prays to him and says, I will lay my life down for these people. I will die for them so that they will not be punished. And I remember reading that and thinking, good grief. Imagine being so committed to a stubborn, stupid, useless people that you were prepared to lay your life down for them. I thought, I am not like Moses. I, I'm just despairing looking at this. And it's hard, it's really hard to put into words, but I heard the Holy Spirit just whisper in my ear. a Thought comes to mind. Dave, you, you don't have to imagine Someone who would be willing to lay their life down for stupid, sinful, useless people. You don't have to imagine. And just in my heart, I just leapt for joy. For for Moses wasn't some impossible moral standard for me to live up to. He pointed forward beyond himself to the Savior who loved me and laid his life down for me. Not just offered, he did it. Friends, if you are a Christian here, when you read the Old Testament, You will see the gospel in all its fullness so many times in your life. But perhaps if you're a new Christian here, let's say you've been a Christian two or three years, this is probably a bit more tricky for you. Firstly, don't worry. Uh, The spirit that raised the Lord Jesus from the dead is in you. That's incredible. He is in you. He will help you. But also, thankfully, you've got plenty of resources. You have got Christians here who have been around a long time, who can help you. See the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. And you've got great resources. So here's one that I love. This is um, God's Word for you. It's a series. This is Ruth for you, a book of the Old Testament. Uh, It explains the roots, the seeds of the gospel that's in the book of Ruth. And then it points you to the Lord Jesus. If you're a new Christian, let's say between zero and five years old in the faith, if you want this, uh, stick your paw up or give me the eyes and I will give it to you. It would be really good to give it to you. Someone give me the eyes or paw. Okay. Summer wants it. Okay, Lord Jesus, we pray that Summer would be encouraged as she sees you in the book of Ruth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's the end of the sidebar. Jesus sets the record very straight, doesn't he? He says it twice. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. Jesus makes it very clear that being his disciple is found in, built upon the Old Testament. In other words, it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. But let's think back to Mr. President, for we still have a problem, don't we? We can't say that the Old Testament is irrelevant, stupid, abolished, useless. What do we say then? We say, Mr. President, Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament law and prophets. That's the correction. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament law and prophets. We sing that line in the song, don't we? about fulfilling the Law and Prophets. Friends, we sing the Bible back to each other on Sunday morning. And as we look at this, you're going to fill up your understanding. So when you sing that, you think, yes, I know what it means for Jesus to fulfill the Law and Prophets. So let's look at it. Do not think that I have come to abolish the Law or the Prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, we've already seen this word fulfill three times in Matthew. So chapter 1, 3, verse 15 verse 14 so we're quite familiar with this concept of fulfilling but the good news is it's quite a rich word it's a very rich word there's lots of different angles we can look at this word to understand what it means that Jesus fulfills the law and prophets so we recap we've said fulfill means this so let's stick up on the screen rewind we said that Jesus life death resurrection fulfills fills up the cup of God's prophetic promises in the old testament we said that one week We've also said, next one, we've also said that uh, the people and the events of the Old Testament are shadows and types, meaning that they are a preview, a trailer of what Jesus will more fully do in the New Testament. We just thought about that this morning. Here's another angle to this idea of fulfil. It means to hit the standard or mark that God gives to his people in the Old Testament. To hit a standard or mark that God gives to his people in the Old Testament. So to hit the bullseye. So in Exodus, we read that God rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt, physical slavery in Egypt. But whilst the people are rescued out of slavery in Egypt, Egypt is still in them. Their thinking their worship their everything they still have Egypt inside them they're physically free but spiritually they're still enslaved to Egypt's way of living and thinking so God gives them laws and commands to show them how to live as free people and there are 613 commandments in all 613 that's a serious amount of commandments right Here we go. Theologians have often, because you hear 613 and you think, good grief, that has a lot of commandments. How on earth can we understand these? Uh, Theologians have often come up with these categories to help us understand what they are and what they mean. This isn't in the text. This is just a helpful category. In the Old Testament, there's three categories. Uh, The civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. They're up on the screen there. So the civil law, Are the rules and laws that God gave to the nation of Israel uh, to govern them as a people? God's their king. This is how they are to live at that time in salvation history. The ceremonial law was about the religious activity of Israel priesthood, sacrifices, and tabernacle. Then there's the moral law, the Ten Commandments, how to live rightly in this world. Now, these are really helpful categories, but we're not to think of them. They're on the screen at the moment as three separate categories. Uh, Perhaps. Oh, I put the slide up. More like a Venn diagram. They're all interlinked. They're interwoven. Breaking something in the moral law would be connected to the civil law and impact the ceremonial law. You don't think of them as separate things. They're all sort of interwoven together. But why did God give these 613 rules? Three or four books of the Old Testament or the majority of them are rules, which is crazy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 6 to 8 will come up on the screen I think this explains why there's so much laws in the Old Testament so God's people in the Old Testament lived in a time whenever people sacrificed their children to idols they killed them and offered them to false gods they lived in a time whenever women were abused and sold into slavery whenever men took what they wanted and didn't ask permission Similar things still happen today in our world. And God gives laws to say, you're not to be like these people around you. You just do whatever they want. You are to be distinct and to be different. And as they see these laws, as Deuteronomy says, as they see how just and fair and good life is in the nation of Israel, they will say, your Lord is a good God. The nations will see you living salt and light and they will notice that you worship and follow the true God. However, it's not uh, it's not shocking to know that Israel failed to fulfil, live by, and obey these laws and commandments. Which meant the prophets were always calling the people to return to the Lord, to remember what He's like, remember His faithfulness, and remember His law. And that would happen for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then imagine you're in this crowd, you're one of the disciples. And this man, this carpenter, the Lord Jesus, says, I am here to fulfill every law, every command, and every prophetic word you find in the law and the prophets. Their minds would have been bamboozled. How? How is that possible? How is that possible? Uh, Paul puts it this way in Galatians 4, verse 4, which I think is helpful. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son Born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets by living under it. All 613 of those commands, he ticks every box. He hits the bullseye every single time of his life, every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade. Perfect. Bullseye, 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 every single moment. Of his life perfect friends if you've woken up this morning you have missed the bullseye at some point I guarantee it I have consider that the Lord Jesus every single moment living perfectly incredible right why did he do this why did he subject himself to living in this broken and sinful world living under this law Galatians 4 4 and 5 tell us, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Incredible. He did it for you. He did it for you. Jesus fulfills the civil law to redeem us, to buy us out of spiritual slavery. We're no longer spiritual nomads with no home. We're a kingdom of priests from every tribe, nation, and tongue. He fulfills the civil law. It passes away in Jesus. He fulfills the ceremonial law to redeem us. Every sacrifice, all the priesthood, the tabernacle, all point forward to the Lord Jesus and his victory on the cross. He fulfills the moral law to redeem us, and he upholds it, and he calls us, his followers, to obey not just the letter of the law, but the heart of it we'll see that in the coming weeks. Friends, as you read your Old Testament, we should experience joy. When we read these things, think, how on earth could anyone live these things out? Think of the Lord Jesus living perfectly. Whenever, like me, you get the confusing bits of the Old Testament, just say a prayer of thanks. Lord Jesus, thank you that you fulfilled this. I never could. So, Let's think back to Mr. President. What do we do whenever people ask us questions like this that make us feel stupid, dangerous, or hypocrites? Well, here's some things you might say to Mr. President. You say, sir, a text without a context is a con. Let's talk about those verses in the context of the entire Bible. Let me give you that context, Mr. President. There's lots in the Bible that's really tricky to understand, but the overall message is clear. We do wrong things every single day. We are legally condemned before a perfect, holy, almighty God. But the Bible offers us a solution to that great problem. We are free because of the Lord Jesus. He came to offer us what we could not do and give us what we do not deserve. Adoption as sons and daughters, Mr. President, sir. So there we go. This is how the Lord Jesus relates to the law and prophets. He is the fulfillment of them. In light of that, if it's true that he has redeemed you, his people, from the penalty, the power of sin, how do we then relate to the scriptures whenever we read them? Let's let's now think, we'll be much more brief here, about how we as his followers are to relate to the scriptures. So this is the Christian and the scriptures a Christian and the Scriptures, looking at verses 18 to 20. You'll notice I'm broadening this out, not just to the Old Testament, but to the New Testament as well. For in the New Testament, we see the explanation and the application of Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So let's walk through briefly verses 18 to 20 together and notice how you, a follower of Jesus in Cardiff in 2023, is to relate to God's word. First notice with me, the permanence of the scriptures to the Christian life. The permanence of permanence of the scriptures to the Christian life. Jesus says, "For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished." Jesus wants you to know that the word of God is as permanent to life as the sky and the earth are. When will the Bible not be relevant to the Christian life? When hell freezes over, never in a million years, when pigs fly. That's a modernization of until heaven and earth disappear. Jesus says that every single tiny, seemingly irrelevant or unimportant line, the dot above the I, the apostrophe, cannot be disregarded or ignored. For they are all pieces of a divine puzzle of how God would redeem himself a people for himself. And if this is true, Jesus says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I absolutely love being here in Cardiff. One of the challenges for me personally is that my closest friends and family live in Scotland, England, and Northern Ireland. Whenever I think about those people in those places, my attitude is not, What's the minimum amount of time I can speak to them and still be considered a friend? What's the minimum amount of time I can go and spend with them and still be okay with my family? That's not my attitude. I want to spend time with them, doing things with them and for them. So, you know, it's dangerous, isn't it? The application here is we really want to spend more time in God's word. That, that is the application here. Our attitude shouldn't be, what's the minimum I can hear from God and get by? What's the minimum amount Jesus expects of me? How do I get around this command that I don't really fancy doing? If it is true that he's redeemed you, set you free, we should want to hear from him and obey him. Not not looking for ways to duck out from how he calls us to live. Second way we're to relate to the scriptures is we're to teach and practice the scriptures. Jesus says, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus calls us, his followers, not to be hypocrites, to practice and teach the commands we find in the scriptures. Unpopular popular in the world today, even in the church, we're to look at the Bible and say, here's what Jesus says. Let's now do it. Let's teach others to practice it. Now, of course, of course, as always, this is not doing these things to be accepted by God. But maybe this is a helpful way of explaining it. In computing, there's a concept called gigo, which means garbage in, garbage out. So you put the wrong data, bad data into a computer, you get bad data, incorrect data out. I just switched how I said data. That's weird. Um, for the Christian, we also live by gigo. Grace in grace out gospel in gospel out what we've received from the lord jesus we pass on what he's input into us his grace his love his law we send it out we pass it along to others along with his commands i think this verse should be particularly encouraging to those who spend time with the next generation parents grandparents sunday school youth leaders crash whoever it may be you are considered great in the kingdom of heaven when you teach them about Jesus and teach them to obey his commandments. <laughs> That's really encouraging, isn't it? In the mundane, in the prayers at mealtime, in the bedtime stories, in crash, in Sunday school, whenever they don't listen to you at all, you're considered great when you persevere, when you keep going. That's a plug for Sunday school and crash, isn't it? Great are those people up there teaching our little ones. Friends, after the service, go and say to them, you are great in the kingdom of heaven. You're doing a great thing. You might feel like nothing's going in. It might feel like a waste of time, but it is of eternal value. How many people in this room have had the gospel, have had the Lord Jesus' input to them from an early age, and you are here today because of them? They are great in the kingdom of heaven. And just to consider, so much of what we do in the Christian life is both taught and caught. Taught and caught. We teach the truths of scripture, and then the little ones catch what it looks like to live out that truth. They might hear you talk about generosity, but then they see you live that out. Third and finally, we're to delight in the scriptures. We're to delight in the scriptures, it says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a tricky wee bit to finish on, but we'll power through. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the model in ancient Israel for obedience to the law, they outwardly appeared righteous. But um, when we think of the, the prodigal son, Luke 15, we had the younger rebellious son. And the older religious son. The older son, the religious one, he's busy doing his duty. He appears righteous and he says to his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Friends, as you heard all that, as some of you might feel like it's a burden pressing down on you, the Lord Jesus is not calling us to dreary, dreary, depressing duty, tongue twister dreary depressing Judy he's calling us to delight in him he's calling us to delight in him for the laws and the commands reflect the lawgiver's heart let me give you an example in this country murder is illegal because we as a nation value life in the scriptures the commands and laws of God show us his heart so whenever he gives us laws about sexual purity for example That's because God loves faithfulness. He loves it. It's who he is. He is faithful to his people. So whenever we read those commands that feel so countercultural to our day, we're to remember, this is not the Lord giving us something harsh and horrible. This is his good, kind, just, merciful, faithful heart. And the incredible thing is, whenever we feel that burden, oh, it feels so heavy. He doesn't just give us laws to obey. He gives us a new heart to help us. Just consider this promise that the Lord Jesus fulfilled and gives to us from Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. The Lord Jesus says to you this morning, if you're struggling to believe in him, to live out his commands, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That spirit is in you because he's redeemed you, because he lived perfectly for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, you give us what we need as we come to your word we thank you that uh, you feed us you prepare us for things this week this month 10 years down the line thank you lord jesus that you fulfilled the law and the prophets you lived under the law to redeem those under the law so that we may be adopted as sons and daughters of yours we praise and thank you in jesus name amen